Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to start this morning in our series. We'll break in the series once in a while, but um, we gave a title for the book of Philippians, uh, Unity and Joy Through Having the Mind of Christ. You will notice there's an insert in your bulletin. If you have that, we're going to be considering that as well. Unity and Joy Through Having the Mind of Christ. What's unusual about this book is the Apostle Paul... Uh, is uh, really um, in an interesting situation. In fact, he's in prison for preaching the gospel, and yet uh, he's rejoicing. Uh, He's not down. He's not discouraged. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what the Bible has to say about joy. Uh, There's a lot of things in our world today uh, that can uh, cause us to... um, Lose the joy that the Lord wants us to have. Last week we talked about joy robbers, things that steal our joy. And um, Warren Wiersbe in his uh, commentary on Philippians, uh, he mentions four, and we mentioned these. The first one is circumstances. There are certain sets of circumstances that come along that can really steal our joy. They're just not circumstances you would say, you know, oh, I really like what's happening right now. Uh, circumstances can steal our joy. Now, by the way, when I mention these four, doesn't mean they have to. It's a big, big discussion in this area. Uh, doesn't mean the circumstances have to steal our joy. And of course, the second one, and I got some interesting comments on this one. Um, people can steal our joy. Oh boy, somebody mentioned. Uh, wow, is that ever true? Uh, there are people that we can come in contact in, and you have joy in your. You're uh, filled with the Spirit, and they say something or do something, and it's just like they yank the, this is what somebody told me, they yank the joy right out of your life. We have to be careful, we really do, uh, not to let that happen. Okay, you say, well, that's easy to say, don't let it happen, but um, it doesn't necessarily have to happen. Uh, we, we should be praying for someone who may come across very negative or may uh, say some things that uh, kind of push us back rather than ahead in our closeness with the Lord. The third one is uh, things, um, taking care of things, the desire for things. Things can steal our joy. Oh, boy, you know, i got to take care of this and got oh, all kinds of things. And the last one he said was probably the, the greatest stealer of joy, and that's worry. And um, we know that this is the letter that says that we're not to worry, be anxious for nothing. And the antidote for worries in this book, we'll get over there one of these days. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Well, that's easy to say. (laughs) Don't worry about anything, you know. It is easy to say. But it can be done that when the trials and the needs and the difficult things come along, we can still lay hold of our God. We can realize that he wants us to have Joy in our hearts, not happiness. We're going to talk about this in a minute. There's a difference between joy and happiness. Circumstances can make people happy. They can be happy in sin. We can't as believers. But some people can be very happy in a sinful situation. But inner joy, we're going to talk about this in just a moment, is something that the Lord gives and that we want to experience. 
Uh, on the study sheet, we'll notice it said, we mentioned the fact that chapter 1, the Apostle Paul talks about his present circumstances, and those circumstances that were the fact that he was imprisoned because he was preaching the gospel, and there was tremendous opposition for him doing that, not just from the uh, government, but from uh, those who opposed his message, and uh, this is recorded in the book of Acts. And yet he said in 112, the things which have happened to me actually have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And you remember while he was in prison, he was chained to a Roman soldier and uh, that they constantly would change those who were watching him. And uh, the chain wasn't like a handcuff today. It was, had some distance on it and some length on it. And so uh, Paul would communicate the gospel and many of the Roman soldiers came to know Jesus Christ. Is their Lord and Savior. Pretty awesome. And uh, this, uh, so that's the first chapter. Second chapter, which we're starting into, uh, is Paul's appeal to have the mind of Christ. We're going to talk about this in just a second. You'll notice his exhortation. This is in 2, 1 to 4. And let me be honest with you. I'm going to be honest with you. I was thinking of not really looking at 2, 1 to 4. I was thinking of not looking at it. I said, ah, our... Our people at Louisville Bible, they're humble and they love each other and I don't need to go over 2, 1, the 4. And the Lord pounded me on the head and said, but you need it. It's true. We, we need the reminders of all of Scripture. And, and you're going to find it, it's encouraging to go over 2, 1, the 4. And we're going to do it. So then the second section, and here's the big uh, emphasis in this section, uh, 5 to 11, is Christ's supreme example of humility. And it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, segment of Scripture that focuses on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, the key verse, again, for the whole book, I believe, is 2.5. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Or let this attitude, we as believers, are to attitude, have the attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the mind of Christ, you know, there's uh, two things I have here under that 2.5. The mind of Christ is a selfless humility. And that's the phrase that Chuck Swindoll used. As he studied the passage, he said, you know, I think God's calling us to selfless humility. And I like it. I like that a lot. But I also like uh, a, a phrase or a, a term uh, that I've used before, and that's a servant spirit. I think the Lord wants us to have as believers, yes, selfless humility and a servant spirit. And these things, if we were to slow down and say, well, this is all the time we have to look at today, having a servant spirit and a selfless humility in your life, if I'm careful to make sure uh, I'm not prideful and doing things just to be seen by others, I think I'm going to experience more joy. But if I just do things to have people see what I do, uh, boy, I'm not going to have the joy that God wants me to have as his child. So therefore, I just thought we'd take a few minutes and uh, before we get back into Philippians and notice the subject of joy in the Word of God, uh, you want to define it out. Well, what is joy? We already said, and we'll talk about this in a minute too. It's uh, not just happiness. Uh, I, I like a lot of definitions that I've seen. Joy is an inner confidence in God. 
Joy is an inner sense of well-being. Inner sense. I have confidence in God. Yes, circumstances around me may be very difficult. There may be things in my life I would rather not see there. But I can still have joy. I still remember a guy in New York. I may have mentioned this before. Called me up and <laughs> I'm going to paraphrase the whole thing. But he said, I am in big trouble. And he said, can you meet me at lunchtime on the parking lot? And I, I said, yes, I can. And he was in big trouble. I mean, he was in big trouble. And he said, Pastor, he said, I've confessed my sin. I'm back in fellowship with the Lord. And he says, he's even put a song in my heart. He said, can I sing? And I said, sure. If you want to sing, go ahead and sing. Beautiful. The Lord had worked in this man's life. And I know I'm repeating myself. He was in big trouble. He really was. Uh, he might have gone to prison if it weren't for a set, set of circumstances. But the point is, he confessed his sin to God, and God forgave him, and it put a song in his heart. Just uh, a very difficult situation, very difficult. So then we're going to say, well, all right, let's go back into the Word of God and uh, notice what God's Word says. These um, next um, phrases and concepts regarding joy actually come from a study, a big study, on passages of Scripture that talked about joy. So I kind of summarized um, the major passages, the passages that stand out for us. In other words, what I'm saying is a biblical perspective on joy. This is what the Bible says about joy. If you really want to know what the Bible says. And one of the fun, fun things you could do, some of you teach and teach children, teach young people. One of the things I love to do, especially with a senior high, middle school, and other age groups, even, even uh, men's groups, uh, I like to say, uh, all right, let's take the subject of um, heaven. What do you know about heaven? All right, let's start throwing everything out. And they say one or two things, and they slow down. I say, come on, we know, we know more about heaven than that. It's a good way to study you, for yourself. You know, you hear something, and once in a while I'm in the car and I hear something on the radio, a, a controversial subject. And so I'll, I'll write it down. Here's what it is, you know. Um, I, I'll use an obvious one. Same-sex marriage. So then I'll go home. Well, what, what's the Bible say about same-sex marriage? What's our authority? You just don't go reinterpreting marriage because society does it. So I'll go home, start looking at passages of Scripture. That's what we do. That's what we're doing right here on joy. A believer's relationship with God through Jesus Christ is the source of a believer's joy. And we could say they're the major source. You know why you can be joyful today if you find out something that's not real good and, and, and you'd say, boy, I wish this wasn't so? You can have an inner joy in your life knowing that you have a relationship with the God of the universe, we, the one we just sang to, praise and adoration. Uh, the testimony song was to our God. That's a major point. A believer's relationship with God through Jesus Christ is the, and you can put their major source of a believer's joy, key verse, Psalm 1611. Lord, in your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Wow. We look forward to heaven. 
Uh, I used that as an illustration a while ago. Uh, what do we know about heaven? Oh, it's a great place to go. In fact, uh, there was a man in New York. In fact, he's ready to go home to be with the Lord right now. We just got a text this week. His name's Claire. And Claire uh, used to say, well, sometimes people get real sad when a loved one passes away and goes to heaven. Well, that is difficult. And unless you've had someone close to you and have experienced it, you may not know what people go through. It's very difficult. Now, obviously, the Lord's always there. But Claire used to say this. He used to say, well, so-and-so went to be with the Lord, and he said, he used to say it this way, heaven's not that bad a place. I said, Claire, don't say that to somebody like that if they just lost a love. But I knew what he meant. I knew what he meant. He was simply saying, you know, that loved one is now in the presence of the Lord through faith in Christ and doing very well. No more pain, suffering, sorrow. Okay, quickly, moving along. Um, the next major truth, the obedient believer finds that God's word is the source of joy. Uh, 119, 162, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. Multitudes of people, even some Christians, don't know the value of the word of God. In fact, uh, sometimes they criticize the word of God, and I don't believe this in the Bible, and man, we need to back off. We really do. The Bible is God's word and God's truth. And he supernaturally guided the writers of Scripture. And there's, it's a source of joy. And you get reading Revelation 21, you say, Lord, heaven's going to be a glorious place. I'm looking forward to it. It gives you joy to read the Word of God. In times of trouble, the believer finds joy in the expectation that God will act to deliver. We're going to touch on this again at, uh, on the same study sheet. The believer finds joy in the expectation expectation that God will act to deliver. Um, in our Sunday school class this morning, we were talking about the fact that in this life, justice is not always seemingly meted out. In other words, there are people who commit crimes, who hurt other people, who do bad things. And it seems like they don't even experience any consequences for that. What's that, what's that Psalm, Psalm 72, where the psalmist struggles with? his relationship with God and the fact that the righteous suffer. I think it's Psalm 72. He struggled with that. But here's the point. The point is, again, the Lord says, Psalm 86, 7, In the day of trouble I will call upon you and you will answer me. In the day of trouble. In the day of trouble. What do we do? We call on the Lord. Um, it's amazing what the Lord does for us. Uh, I've heard people say, you know, they had complications working with uh, insurance companies over health issues. And, uh, well, what do you do? Well, you don't let it pull you down. You go to the Lord in the day of trouble and say, Lord, you know, these people, um, this is this is tough thing. And you go to the Lord in the day of trouble I will call upon you, the psalmist says, for you will answer me. How beautiful. How beautiful. Turn it over. And the paradox of joy in Scripture is may be experienced regardless of circumstances. And many of you are familiar with uh, James chapter 1, 
where it says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. James chapter 1, verse 2. And when you read that in Scripture, you say, Why would God be telling me to count it all joy when I fall into different kinds of trials? So you need to be able to answer that. Because some people will say to you, Look, this trial is no good. This trial is terrible. And some situations from the human standpoint, believe me, we need to be encouraged to understand this. They're very difficult. But we need to remember that we have a God who's watching over us and who allows us to go through things we don't understand so that in turn, well, you read on in James chapter 1, verse 2. When you fall into various trials, knowing this, that the trying your faith produces perseverance. And when perseverance is fully developed, you will be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So you say, all right, God says, count it joy when you fall into trials. And you say, now why should I count it joy? Because there's a purpose for the trials the Lord allows us to go through. And by the way, what is that purpose? That purpose is that we might be mature believers. That we might be those who realize that His hand is upon our lives. And He is blessing us and He is guiding us in the midst of very difficult circumstances. Sometimes things we would not like to see. But He's there for us. That's an awesome verse uh, in in God's Word. And uh, the next phrase, the believer's joy is found in the inner work of the Holy Spirit. We're going to touch on this. Uh, Joy, like peace, is rooted first in our trust in the Lord. And in a believer's experience, great joy is found in two things. Number one, serving others and seeing God work in your life. Those things bring you joy. They really do. Don't lose that study. Because there may be times when you say, hey, that joy, my joy has gone. But don't. Don't allow it to go. Uh, Keep your hand uh, in the Word of God. In Philippians, we see the encouragement now in 2.5 that God wants us to have a servant attitude. And why is that? Well, because that servant attitude allows us to experience joy. In other words, we realize we're not just here in this life for ourselves. We're here to be able to minister to others, to encourage others. I'm going to ask a a tough question. Now, I'll say something after. I'm going to ask a tough question. Here it goes. Is there someone around you who may be thinking, whether right or wrong, is there someone around you who may be thinking, whether right or wrong, that you do not have enough of a servant attitude? Boy, where'd you find a question like that? There's somebody around me who thinks that I might not have enough of a servant attitude. Now, let me balance that question out. The question, tough. On this side, if you say, you know, I'm trying my best to be a servant of the Lord. I really am. I'm trying to do His will. I'm trying to have that concern for others. Keep it up. God's going to use you. As you are burdened for others, as you make those phone calls, as you stop by, as you drop things off, as you give gifts to people, keep it up. Don't get discouraged. Keep it up. This is a, this is a heavy-duty subject. 
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Remember we said there's two, um, there's two aspects to the mind of Christ or the attitude of Christ. Number one, selfless humility. That's the term Swindoll uses. Secondly, a servant attitude. All right, let's look at the text now. In 2.2, you'll notice Paul says, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. All right, he keeps talking in this book about things which contribute to joy. I've talked to people who from time to time say, Well, you know, I go to a Bible study or I go to church, and I'm not really that encouraged. Why not? We should be encouraged. Well, because people are disagreeing and they're disagreeing over this. and uh, The text says, be of one mind. Now, that does not mean that all believers are expected to gr- uh, agree on every minor issue of doctrine. Repeat. That does not mean when God says, be of one mind, that we're going to agree on every single minor issue of that's in Christianity today. But it does mean Paul was asking them to agree, first of all, on the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Got to agree on that. You got to agree that Jesus is Lord. You got to agree, as we saw, heard sung this morning, He's Savior. He meets the needs of our lives. You know, we say, it's a cliche, I'm sure, to many. He saves, keeps, and satisfies. He does, doesn't He? He really does. You wouldn't be say you wouldn't even be here this morning probably if you had not accepted Jesus as your savior. But he says be of one mind. Well, in what areas? Well, in the regard to the sum, supremacy of Jesus and secondly with regards to the and he'll talk us some about this, the fundamental doctrines of the faith. In other words, let's just take one. The Bible is the inspired word of God. Now, even in some places today, they begin to say, well, I don't know if every book of the Bible is really inspired. and I don't know if I agree with all the sections of Scripture. Well, why not? Who's an authority here? Is the Bible an authority or is man an authority? You see, Paul says, be of one mind, especially regarding the important truths of the faith. And, um, you know, I mentioned, first of all, concerning the person of Jesus Christ. Remember that? Where do some Christians go wrong? Where do some Christians fall by the wayside? What happens? You know, that maybe they even teach the Bible, and then they fall by the wayside. I had a call from a guy not too long ago. He said, oh, I just found out about another Christian who fell morally. And remember, we talked about this before. This can happen when we failed to see the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Isn't that what it says in 1 Peter 3.15? Aren't we to give Jesus preeminence in our lives? But if I, if I start neglecting Jesus, and hey, I study the Bible, but I start neglecting Jesus, and I don't talk to Him, and allow Him to talk to me, oh, there's no telling what could happen. That's why Paul says, be of one mind. And how is this accomplished? Well, you just read 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Oh, yeah, right. I'm going to 
I'm going to think that that other Christian's better than I am. You know, some Christians say, no way. Uh, eh, no way. Well, the problem is we're all made in the image of God. And there may be Christians in error. And we certainly wouldn't want to follow the example of a Christian in error. But you see, I've got to guard my attitude towards someone who may be away from God, who may be holding teachings that are wrong before God, but I have to be careful. See, here's the point. This is why this is such an interesting section. I have to be careful that my attitude towards the one who's out of fellowship with God, who may even be holding the false doctrine, is not one that says, and I'm going to tell you about this in just a second, I wish that person were dead. You say, well, why would you say that? I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. Don and I went to one of the toughest seminars down at the seminary I've ever been to in my life. And it's called Silent, No Longer Silent. And uh, it's about a woman who was sexually abused. And all of us who are here would say, that's wrong before God. You can't find anything clearer in Scripture than that's wrong before God. But you know, when you hear about the person who did it, you have to fight in your mind and say, Lord, oh, that's so awful. And why did they do it? Remember, we got the answer in the Word of God. It says in Colossians 1, in all things he may have preeminence. You can have somebody studying the Bible and they get all A's in seminary and they do all these things. And that man did, by the way. And his name was mentioned, wasn't it, Don? All A's. Big name. Fell. What happened to him and Jesus? What about that quiet time with the Lord? What about the time we come to the communion table? And we say, Lord, I thank you for the bread and the cup. And Lord, you did it for me. And that's what this passage is going to be about. See, that's why Paul's saying, be careful of your spiritual life. Be very, very careful. He goes on, he talks about the exaltation of Christ. And how Jesus did so much for us. In fact, I, I, I jotted these down. We'll look at it and we'll close in prayer. Because of what Jesus did, you see, God's saying to me, take care of your spiritual life. If you haven't been praying this past week, Pastor, you better start praying. If you're not taking the time that you should with Jesus, you better start doing it. If your Bible is closed during the week and you're not reading the Bible at all, you better get it open. That's for me. That's for me. But see, all of us too need to be reading God's Word. We really do. And I'd like to just glance at you and we'll close in prayer. We'll probably won't even take two minutes. If you look at um, Philippians 2, picking up at verse 5, he's saying, here's why we have to have the attitude of Christ. Don't look at it. It's really beautiful. 
Notice his exalted position. And we're going to talk about this later. He existed in the form of God. That is, he was actually God. And yet, um, he existed in the form of God for all eternity. It's hard to imagine Jesus being God for all eternity. And this is called the kenosis passage. I'll tell you why in a minute. Step one, he did not regard equal, equality with God a thing to be grasped after. Listen, Jesus was God, so he wasn't holding on to He wasn't going around saying, hey, by the way, I'm God. Hey, you Jewish leaders, you need to catch it here. I'm God. It wasn't how Jesus functioned. Step one, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped after. He refused to selfishly con- to cling to his favored position as God the Son. Secondly, he emptied himself. 2-7. There are various translations to 2-7. King James says he made himself of no reputation. And this is where we get the phrase... This is where, <laughs> this is where we get the phrase, he emptied himself. And in other words, Jesus, did, Jesus didn't empty himself of his deity. He maintained his deity. Now, here's where I want you to become good little theologians. Scratch the word little. Good theologians. What's a good theologian? Where you state the Bible accurate to someone. And you say, well, why do you want to do this? You want to do it in a way that helps people. Remember, the Bible is the inspired word of God. You want to help people. So when someone dies and they said, oh, my, this person I love turned into an angel when they went to heaven. Not going to happen. Nobody's going to turn into an angel. That's bad theology. Now, you don't go to somebody, you're at the graveside, and I've been at the graveside, and they say, oh, this loved one turned into an angel. Do I say, hey, you better go to Philippians chapter 2. Don't do that. But we don't turn into angels. Okay? So what's this mean he emptied himself? Verse 7a. He made himself of no reputation. This means, and you can do this, you can do this, believe me. We're trying to teach our young people to be able to answer questions about their faith. Because they're asked out in society today. He laid aside the independent use of his divine attributes. In other words, there could have been times when Jesus said, away, and people could be vanquished. But he didn't use these powers. He set them aside and became truly God and truly man. We'll talk more about that. Okay. Um, step three, he took upon himself the form of a bondservant. Remember, Jesus came, he said, to serve. Step four, he was made in the likeness of men. Why the likeness of men? Because he didn't sin. Step five, he was found in appearance as a man. Boy, they, many people thought he was just a man. But if you and I would have been there, we would have known he wasn't just a man, right? You should be saying, I think so. <laughs> I think so. If you could have seen the beauty of Jesus, and sometimes I, I read the Gospels and I'm like, man, they're not, they're, not seeing, <laughs> they're not seeing who he really is. In appearance as a man, step seven, became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And um, 
one of the young people Wednesday night, and I'll close in prayer, in Awana, shows the value of kids going to camp, Christian camp. He said, I was at Christian camp. It was either last year or the year before, the camp in Paris, Texas. And he said, uh, the speaker, I'll never forget it. Wow, boy, you want to hear teens, middle school age kids? You want to hear him say that, right? And he said, he talked about the fact that Jesus was hung on the cross. He talked about that crucifixion may be one of the most cruel, excruciating, and painful, and shameful forms of execution ever designed by man. And then the little guy said, and of course we were told he did it for us. Thank you, Lord. Right? Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Oh, boy. He did it for you and me, too. Thank you, Lord.